This is the Simply Love Jesus podcast where we explore life and faith through the lens of one question, which is what does it mean to simply love Jesus? I'm your host, Caleb Davis, and usually my co-host is Aaron Collier, but he is super busy, and this episode is also coming out like two days before my last podcast or a week or something like that. And so uh, Aaron's usually with me. We do an episode once a month. Um, Lately, he's been super busy. And it's sad because my soul screams for him and his companionship. So um, hopefully we'll be with him again. But today we're actually continuing our last episode. Last episode we did an episode at Waffle House. We called it the Waffle Cast. You should go and listen to it. And then if you like it, you should go and subscribe. And if you like it even more, you should give us a five-star rating because hashtag yes. Um, And so um, we were at Waffle House with a bunch of students who are in a discipleship program that I am in. And um, today we're going to be continuing that same conversation that we had. And, but instead, we have a different disciple with us, and his name is Griffin Stewart. Thank you for having me, Caleb. It's a pleasure to be here. So last episode, we were we had a conversation where I read through. Usually, whenever I host a podcast without Aaron, I usually just end up reading through something that I've recently written on my blog, and I kind of give some background commentary to it as I read through it. Last, at the Wafflecast, we talked through one of the, the, the podcasts. It was called, What is a Disciple? And so the whole point of the, the, the blog is a three-part blog. And the whole point of it was exploring this idea of discipleship. And what does it truly mean to be a disciple? Because there's so many churches in the world who either think that just being a disciple is just being a Christian and that's it, which it's not. Or they, there's so many, there's, they have a different definition of discipleship that just doesn't tap into the potential of Christians. Um, and especially it doesn't tap into the potential of students. And so, and it's, it's so removed from what Jesus potentially considered discipleship. And I say potentially because, you know, you can never just assume for the mind of another human being like 2,000 years ago. But what we do know about Jesus was that he was a Jewish rabbi living in a Jewish world in a first century Jewish culture. And in during that time, there were many things that we record in scripture that were, that Jesus said that were actually not original to Jesus. Things like, come, follow me. The, a, a, a disciple, when he has fully learned, will be like his teacher. He records that in the book of Luke. These are things that were actually not uncommon. They were very common. They were a methodology from rabbinical discipleship. So in part one of the blog, I kind of bring everyone in to that historical lens of what discipleship was in Jesus's day. And then I'll actually have all these blogs listed in the show notes. Part two, we kind of took everything in, all the lens that we've gotten, and we compared it with some other definitions of how the church today uh, popularly defines discipleship. And we redefined discipleship to say that a disciple is someone whose spiritual walk is being personally mentored by a teacher. So that's what a disciple is, and that means discipleship is the process of having your walk with Christ personally mentored or personally taught by someone. And so in part three, we walk through how can, how, what does it take to actually make an effective disciple? What does effective discipleship look like? And so that's when we had a cast at Waffle House because we took a bunch of our students to Kansas City. And then we had a bunch of the guys who have been through that discipleship process. And I got their commentary on the three points of discipleship and how they've seen that replicated to them, what they're processing through. I mean, keep in mind, they're also like high school guys. Some of them, it's 
some of them are shy guys, so they're, they're not great to think on the spot. But they did a great job. I'm really proud of them. And they were able to kind of articulate the best in the moment as they could because it was a super last-minute decision. So it wasn't like they could prep or anything. Um, but today we have Mr. Griffin, who um, he's killing it in the discipleship process. And he's, just, um, he's been kind of all in and looking forward to next year when he gets to lead the same the few, as we call the discipleship, he gets to lead that himself and really looking forward to it. And so I kind of take some some special time with Griffin and I thought we would sit down today and uh, we would go back and talk about the same content, but just get it through the lens of how Griffin's seen it and his perspective and his different journey and whatnot. So that being said, Griffin, what are like just like some general like if someone were to just ask you, hey, what is the few? What do you learn? Like if someone just asked you a general question, what is typically like, what would you say to them? How would you say how it's affected your life or just the general, like if someone says, hey, what's the few and what do you learn and stuff like that? What would you, what would you tell them? If I'm trying to tell people the truth, I would probably tell them the few is basically Bible boot camp. It, it's, <laughs> it's hard. You learn a lot of stuff, um, but it's very beneficial and yeah, it, it, it's really fun, and you get out what you put in, but it will change your life. It's been one of the most life-changing things for me personally. Uh, you learn a lot of scripture, and you learn how to be stretched, like Caleb says all the time. Uh, as Christians, we're like rubber bands, and if we're not being stretched, then we're not being used. And he definitely stretches you a lot, and he gets you comfortable in uncomfortable situations. What are some examples of ways that you have been stretched? Like, what are what are ways that you feel like your comfort zone was stretched give me a couple examples on that uh we were in the jordan creek mall and caleb knows i hate talking to strangers and of course we're sitting eating lunch and he says okay i'm gonna go sit over there and eat my lunch and you're gonna go over to that table and talk to those guys about jesus and uh, and invite them to church and that was the most uncomfortable thing for me and I did it. It didn't really go well, but I am now prepared to do it again. And I, I just know that since I've been through that situation, I've kind of gotten into the mentality of knowing that a lot of times when I talk to people, it's going to be the last time I ever see them. So why not just try to, this could be bad, but I, I kind of have this like mentality. Like you said one time, uh, I kind of have this this mindset of like, let's change the world today. Oh yeah. We talk, we talk a lot of times about how, Treat, treat our church as if it's the only church in Iowa. You're like, like we're the only church. Like that's it. you have to have that. Obviously, that's not true. There's plenty of amazing churches out there, but we have to come with the mentality that like we're the like if they don't hear Jesus, they're never gonna hear Jesus. Like I'm the only person around this person who knows Jesus. Like we're the only church in Iowa. When you have that mentality, it completely changes your perspective and how you're talking to people. You have had a couple of experiences since then that have the few is shaped like for example you had a friend of yours who like messaged you like really late at night asking you about Jesus you've um, even like taken like your friends like Philip and um, and his brother uh, is his brother right friend. his friend okay and so you've like really like brought them under your wing and you've been really bold with them let's start with the experience of like um, your friend who like messaged you at like what was it, like 3 a.m. or something like yeah. that yeah that was pretty it was a pretty cool God answered my prayer kind of moment. I was praying for this one friend for like two weeks and nothing was happening. I was like, God, what are you doing? And then one night when I went to bed, I woke back up at like 3.30 in the morning for no reason. And then at that exact moment, I had that friend that I was praying for just text me 
and asked me, like, hey, can we talk about God? And we spent the entire morning, technically, just talking about God, and that was a super cool moment. What kind of questions did, like, they have? They were just, like, like, I'm really scared about, like, where I'm going after I die. Like, I want to know, like, how can I be saved and stuff. So, yeah, it was a really good experience. How, how, have, you, how have you followed up with that person since then? Uh, that's one of my regrets, actually. I kind of went 90% with that conversation, yeah. and I didn't finish strong with the 10%. Uh, I kind of, I talked I talk to this friend, gave him a Bible, and then I kind of just left it at that. And that was a mistake on my part. I mean, at least I planted that seed, kind of, yeah. uh, hey, potentially. That's you can do this week. Yeah. That's true. Just, hey, I haven't thought, even, I thought I've been thinking about you. Have yeah, you that, yeah, that's totally true. Um, but, yeah, if I had just gone that extra 10%, I could have, yeah. That's cool. And uh, tell me about, like, your relationship with Philip and like, his friend. So I've got this friend named Philip, and every single day uh, after school for a while, he would ask me if I could give him a ride home so he didn't have to walk. After a couple times... Of uh, saying no, I was like, oh, okay, what the heck? I'll just do it. And so I was like, yeah, man, whenever you need a ride, just let me know and I'll take you home. Little did I know that would be every single day. So now every single day I take uh, this guy named Philip home. Super cool dude. I love him to death. And, uh, and then I started talking to him about God and I realized the car is a perfect place to talk about God because you have their life in your hand and they can't leave so why not talk to them about God and so that's what I that's exactly what I did I talked to him about God and it turns out that he uh, was a Christian a long time ago but then his church got into some uh, scandals and stuff and all they wanted was uh, the people's money so his family left and then he hadn't been to church in years and so um, I took him to church and he loved it and um, <clears throat> then I met his friend named James and James's family isn't Christian, and so I took him to church too, and he loved it as well. Um, and then I really started to get to know Philip and James, um, and just kind of took them in in a way. But yeah, it, it, it's been super cool because it, what started off with me just giving a ride to one guy home from school has now turned into Philip, James, and three of Philip's uh, siblings are going up to church camp with me in Michigan, and that's going to be a really cool experience. That's so cool. And, you know, these are just examples of how this discipleship has helped shape Griffin. It's helped shape his readiness to have intentional and deep spiritual conversations. And that's incredible. Like that, That's something that all of us should be striving for, all of you who are listening. Be challenged in the sense that, like, you know, it's not that hard to have a conversation with someone about Jesus. It's not that difficult to, it's, it's, it's can be uncomfortable and it can be stressful because you're like, you're tense and you don't want to say something wrong. But you, every spiritual conversation can start with something as simple as how can I pray for you? And, you know, we always encourage that a lot is just asking that question like, hey, how can I pray for you? How are you doing today? Those are the simplest, easiest things that you can do even today. And talk to your coworker, talk to your neighbor, talk to that kid in your classroom, talk to whoever it is. Message that person that you've been thinking about but haven't talked to in a while. Just say, hey, how can I pray for you today? That's just some easy, easy examples of intentional conversations that you can be having today. As we let's go ahead and dive into what we're going to be talking about today, and that's just kind of like a little snippet intro, hashtag geekness of whatever. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. 
my goal is always to just embarrass all of my students on a regular you basis. Do a good job of it. <laughs> this dude at Kansas City, oh, you would have hated me. <laughs> I embar I embarrassed like the students so much, dude. So much I embarrassed the students. I was like every little thing I was doing, like someone tried see someone that a stu an some student sees another student that I think is like cute or whatever, and I'm like, yo, what's up, dude? You want to come and get like get my friend's number, like just to embarrass that? Oh, it was beautiful. It, it was beautiful. It was an amazing experience. Um, so, anyways, so today what we're talking about is uh, what is a disciple, and so I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, I'll just put that question out uh, to you. We say there's three things that discipleship requires. What are those three things? Relational authority, um, sacrificial commitment, and intentional investment. Oh, man, he remembers. Yeah, intentional investment. Is you, got, you got the order backwards, but you still got the got it right. Is it? So I'm, I'm intentional about everything. You know yeah. this. Like everything yeah. I do, there's a meaning behind it. Every Even like the placement. So there's intentional investment, um, sacrificial commitment, and relational authority. Um, and so we're going to go through each of those and just kind of talk about them. And, um, and yeah, it'll be good. So in the few, where this all comes through the lens of is one question, which is what does it mean to simply love Jesus? And so it's been about how long has it been since you've finish the fuse. Oh, dude, like, oh, it's almost a been a year. year. Yeah, it's almost been a year. I'm a veteran, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you're gone through phase one. You're go you're about to finish phase two, and then you're about to go into phase three. So it'll be good. So that being said, you've had three almost almost two completed phases to process this question. You've processed it in the beginning. You've processed it some more since then. So let me ask you this question now. What does it mean to simply love Jesus? To simply love Jesus means to live in a way where everything starts and revolves around Jesus. Boom, done and done. <laughs> like get it, get it. Um, and so let's try and let's let's flesh it out more because that's that's like the exact answer. Um, but then you also know, as everyone else says, there's always that more unpacking. It's like, simple, but it's so complex. <laughs> it's not complex. It's hard. There's a difference. Simple, like it's t it's like taking it's like taking it's like taking a shower. Do I, do I, is, is taking a shower a simple decision? Yes. Because yes, I have to do it. Like, I have to wake up. Well, I hope it's not hard for you to take a shower. Yeah, it shouldn't be. <laughs> like, it's a simple, but it's the decision to take a shower is a simple decision because yeah. I have to do it. I don't want to be gross. I don't want to get out of my bed feeling nasty. But is it a hard decision at times? Yes, because I love my bed and it's nice and snuggly and warm and, and it's great. But is it a simple decision? Yes. But is it a hard decision? Yes. But I have to do it. So it's yes. a simple decision. It's like Jesus loving us. Was Jesus loving us a simple decision? Yes. Was it a hard decision? Yes, because he had to die. <laughs> yes. But he did it because it was a simple, he, ha he had to do it. He had, and that's what makes it a simple decision. So is loving Jesus simple? Yes. Is loving Jesus hard? Yes. Yeah. But it's not complicated. And that's what my big argument is. It's yeah. not complicated. Um, but anyways, uh, going in a mo little bit more about the, what goes in, to simply loving Jesus, like it's it start, it's a lifestyle that's that's an idea that starts that everything should start and revolve around loving Jesus. But what is that? What does that do? How does that even start? For me, I've realized in my life that I have a direct correlation between me loving God and how much I read His Word. And so, for me, it always starts off with asking that question: What does it mean to simply love Jesus? And then I re I remember all these things that Jesus has done for me. I remember where he's brought me out of and the things that he's done in my life. 
and then that just makes me want to learn more about him. Um, for example, we're doing that uh, 30-day shred thing where yeah, we're reading yeah. through the Bible in 30 days, and awful. <laughs> I've been super busy. We started really strong. Yeah. But yeah, then the more I read about Jesus, the more I realize how much he loved people and how much he, he calls me to love others. When you see Jesus in the Bible loving others, ah, what am I trying to say, dude? Do you remember what James um, 4, 8 is? I'm trying to remember if that's one of your verses. Draw, when you like, draw near to God, yeah. you will draw near to so you. So if you draw near to God, God draws near to you. What happens in that? If you're drawing near to God, you become more like who? God. Okay, and if you become more like God, what, what, what changes about you? You'll have a greater love for people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why? Because God loved people and he... Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, like, it's like going back to your, your... Was it your first episode, The Greatest Commandments? Yeah. The first and yeah. second great. No, the first and first B Greatest Commandment. Yeah. The love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the... Or, or as um, I say a lot, it's the closer I am to God, the greater my love for people will be. Yeah. The closer you are to God... The, the more that you seek him, the more that you love him, the more that you run after him, the closer you are with your relationship with him, the greater your love for people will be. And that's because it's kind of like a lot. We're in a coffee shop right now, so I think I'm going to call this episode the coffee cast. Yes. But, um, so that'll be fun. Um, but it's kind of like, a lot like this coffee cup. You know, let's say, the, let's say the liquid, the coffee inside of my cup represents the love of God. And all the coffee lovers said amen. Uh, <laughs> Let's say that the cup represents me. And the, the higher or lower that the, the level of coffee that's inside of this cup represents my love for God. So the less coffee that's in here, the less my love for God is. The greater the coffee is in here, the greater the love my God for is. Make sense? So in the same way, it's God's love for us. His, the coffee, God loves God's love for us influences as it grows as his love fills up in us the more we have love for him and when it overflows it spills out onto everything around it so how i word this is god's love for us influences our love for him and overflows his love onto the world and so that's the same way as like because it's kind of like it's like a person you know if i if i if i hang out with a person enough I start sharing their interests because I start understanding why they love the things that they love. And I start then loving the things that they love. Every time I go to Starbucks, I always get the same drink, which is the the, the, straw, it's the pink drink. It's a strawberry side refresher with Dude, coconut milk. that is milk. what my 12-year-old sister does. Yeah, she does, and it's delicious, okay? Um, but every time I get it, people are always like, why do you get I'm like, it's delicious. You need to try it. It'll change your life. It's a near spiritual experience. Um, but anyways, that's just an example of like the, if someone actually tries it, they'll see why I love it so much. In the same way with Jesus, you know, the more that we love Jesus, the more we'll start to love what he loves. And he loves people. And then we see why he loves people. And then we start to love people the way he loves people. You've experienced that. The more that you've re read God's word, it's changed the way that you've kind of spoken to people and your tone with people and how you just, your attitude towards people in general. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, I would say for sure. I think that's probably what I was trying to get towards with the direct correlation between me reading God's word and me loving other people. Um, because before this year, I really didn't read the Bible a whole bunch. Um, but I've really improved on that this year. And I realized that that has really changed my, my attitude towards other people. Like 
when Philip first came up to me and he was like, hey, can you give me a ride? I didn't really have any desire to do that. But then as I kept reading more, I was like, okay, like Mark 10:45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Like, I have no reason to not do this. My readings have, have kind of proven that people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. Um, that has really changed my attitude towards people, and I've, I've just become a lot more uh, serving, I would say. People, people want to know that you care before they want to know what you care about. Yeah. yeah, and so that's something we talk about all the time in The Few, is that people want to know that you care before they want to know what you care about. So yeah, Simply Love Jesus, it's, it's something we talk about all the time, and it's, it's always affecting and influencing our conversations. Um, and that's the primary thing that we're teaching students in The Few, is understanding and walking through this lifestyle of loving Jesus. And now when you're taking students and you're discipling them, you're teaching them, there's three things that you have to know about what it means to effectively disciple students. And the first one is intentional investment. So in your opinion, what, is it, what does intentional investment mean? Uh, being available to whoever you are either discipling or being discipled by. I think you do a great job at this. Just with the way that you're always available to us. You know, it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning or or at noon in the day, like if we call you, you're you're gonna pick up. No, I appreciate that. No, it's it's that's a great point. Intentional investment, as you said, it's just it's being available. You know, we even talk about this, and this is why Griffin's gonna be the main one who's gonna be like championing, 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 championing. The he's gonna be championing the third phase of the few. So the few goes in four phases, and that first phase is you're kind of going through it. Second phase is you are, you know, you're watching the teacher teach it and you're helping them. And then the third phase, you're leading it with the teacher kind of kind of playing a puppet in a sense. Like you're you're kind of like a puppet, not in like a manipulative way, but like in the sense that like you're going to be moving and doing the stuff, but the teacher is going to kind of help move the strings to help you make it excellent. So you, it's kind of like a safety net. And then the fourth phase is ideally you're off in college and you're ready to start taking anyone through this process. Um, and he's going to be, and he's in phase three, and one of the reasons he's easily able to advance to that kind of phase is because there's four things that we look for in healthy disciples. It's those who are available, obedient, intentional, and consistent. And Griffin's like perfectly modeled that. He, there's the amount of times where I'm like, hey, we're gonna go do this like right now. He's like, boom, done, let's go. Like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you texted me and you were like, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? I'm like, nothing. You're like, okay, yeah, we're doing a construction project. I'm like, yeah. I have no idea what we're building, but yeah. that'll be fun. So we're gonna go help Freedom for Youth, which is a newer organization, at least in our area. And they help, at, like, they help teens um, with like, preparing for the, the real world like they help them with trade jobs and like learning skills for for trade jobs and they help them with school and kids are struggling with that they bring the gospel and they have a new facility that's not even on the map you just have to know where it's at and so I have a map to get there and uh, it's right across the street from Freedom Blood and Coffee it's really simple but um, we're gonna go there with Simple Church Brandon Pruitt and another church and we're gonna go out there and just help them do construction to finish their building so they can start doing ministry but yeah intentional investment is Understanding that you as a teacher need to invest in your students. You have to invest in your disciples. And what that looks like is you have to pour yourself out to them. You have to make yourself available to them. You have to be able to teach that. It's all about teaching them everything you know. 
Because at the end of the day, a teacher when he is fully trained will be like, or a student, a disciple when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus says that in the book of Luke. And that's, that's, that's not original to Jesus. That was, a, that was the, the goal for first century Israeli discipleship, um, rabbinic discipleship. You had a rabbi and you had a disciple and they were to try to become like their teacher. It was the art of imitation. And so your goal is to kind of teach them everything they know, or as they would say back in their day was their yoke, kind of like, a yolk, I thought they always talked about an egg. And for years and years, I thought the yolk, they were talking about an egg. Turns out that's not what it was. Um, turns out it was actually something to do with like a bowl. And like a bowl has this thing that they pull the cart with and it's the weight on their shoulders. You know what I'm talking about? There's like that wooden beam that's like across oh, yeah. their neck. And apparently that's the yolk. And really? I, never even, I never even knew that, but blew my mind because it makes way more sense now. Um, but anyways, you a rabbi's teaching would be called their yolk. And so you would pass that to their students so the student could teach like you teach think like you think you know do what you do and all for the purposes of just growing in their relationship with God it's hey I want to know God like this person knows God it's like a mentorship we all have mentors and so most of us have an idea of what discipleship look like looks like without even knowing it you know all of us may have mentors and if you shouldn't you should get one but those mentors are kind of like rabbis or teachers or because rabbi is just Hebrew for teacher but um and in the same way, intentional investment is like, hey, I'm going to pour my time into you. I'm going to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to see you unleash your hidden potential. I want you to know God and know how amazing he is. So follow me and let me show you what it means to love Jesus. And so, yeah, it's just, it's intentionally investing in your people, being intentional with your, what you're doing, not just spending time with them just to spend time with them, though you should do that because it's good and fun. Intentional investment is when you're spending time with them, you're being intentional about it. You're, ha you're going with a purpose. I'm having a conversation with you with, a with an end in mind, with a goal in mind. And when, the more that you intentionally invest in them, the more people are going to realize that, you know, investing in people, it, it takes time. It, it takes time out of your day. It, it, it goes, you have to go out of your way to do it, and that requires sacrifice. And that kind of leads us to our next point, which is sacrificial commitment. See that transition there? It's flawless. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so sacrificial commitment. Sacrificial commitment is what it sounds like. It's understanding that you have to commit, and you have to commit sacrificially. That means you have to give up the things that you may want. How far are you willing to go to be closer to God? How much are you willing to give up to know that you would be closer to Jesus? How much are you willing to sacrifice? And that's what you put on the line when it comes to discipleship because the whole point of discipleship is growing closer to Jesus. It's, it's teaching others to live a lifestyle of loving Jesus. And so in the same way, it's helping others understand that if you want that, you got to sacrifice for it. you got to make sacrifices, sacrificial commitment. Jesus is never convenient. I preach that all day long. Jesus is never convenient. So Griffin, how have you seen that displayed in the few, in your own life, um, even in the like the current few? How have you seen that has become a challenge in the current few? We're experiencing that's the biggest challenge we've had in this year of the few is sacrificial commitment. So yeah, for sure. I think sacrificial commitment is one of the biggest parts of discipleship, and I've I've seen it a lot in my life recently, um, especially with uh, Philip and James, uh, because not because they're like a nuisance or anything to me, but because I sacrifice a lot of my, my time for them, uh, a lot of my, uh, sometimes money, and uh, a lot of times my gas. I live in Waukee, and then they live in Urbandale. So every time I take them to church, I have to drive about 15 minutes east, and then about 30 minutes to West Wind, and then about 15 minutes back to their house, and then 15 minutes back to my house. 
it's, it's a lot of sacrificing of my time. But in, in the few, I would say that the biggest thing that people have to sacrifice is their schedule. Uh, we've, we've kind of had a problem with that recently, but schedule is the, if you're going to be in the few, you're going to make time for the few. I had to sacrifice a lot of the things that I wanted to do because, like you said, Jesus is never convenient. You know, when you wake up on a Saturday, what you don't want to do is go to the church at 8 o'clock in the morning and do push-ups and stuff. Um, there, there are a lot of other things that I would rather be doing, and I, I kind of had to sacrifice those things in order to, to go through the few, and it was more than worth it. Yeah. You had to sacrifice your time. You had to sacrifice your comfort. There are a lot of things you had to sacrifice, and loving Jesus requires commitment, and you have to be able to be willing to sacrifice the things that you want or the things that you would like to do in order to get what you need. And all of us need to be closer to Jesus. But in your process, you also experienced even sacrificing your comfort zone, not just on the things that you do, but the things that are told to you. And that kind of leads us into relational authority because relational authority is about a couple of things. One, it's the relational piece, but there's also an authoritative piece in there as well. You know, with other students, I'm not necessarily gonna speak directly into things in their life, but if you're in the few, I even say this from the get-go, there is no area of your life I'm not allowed to speak into. And you experience that a lot as well. Do you want to share about that? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're definitely good about relational authority. When I think of relational authority, though, I don't think so much about authority, you know, like I have power over you, but I think of it more as, like, relational, or relational, like, credibility. Yeah. Like, you are older than me, you know more than me, you've been through a lot of things that I'm going through, so, like, you have the authority to help me on this, and, like, I should listen to what you're saying. And, for example, uh, back in January, my girlfriend and I broke up, and, it, yeah, apart from all the crying and sobbing and stuff, like, you spoke into my life in, in that moment, and because you've been there, you have credibility in that area, even Carson expressed the same thing. Like a lot of people, they, they focus on the, the relational aspect of it because that's what you experience most of the time. As the teacher, we start understanding where that authority part and that two-hand relational authority comes in because there's certain things that like you guys may not even remember, but we're super intentional. So like even just that the way that I like spoke to you guys was, you know, with a student, they're doing something they're, you know, whatever. I'm going to try and speak to them with grace and stuff like that. But with you guys, if you're messing up, I was straight up like, you're going to fix this today. <laughs> like, get it done. And so, like, for example, yesterday, all right, texted everyone in the morning. And I was like, all right, guys, we're figuring out this, this last day that we're getting together for the few. You're going to figure it out by the end of the day and go. And that's where that authoritative, authoritative part comes in. And part of it, the authority part is, uh, is, the, is the, as you said, it's not a power tyrannical I'm going to control you and you're going to do what I say it's more about this at the very beginning it's like it's permission that is shared between two people and it's saying I'm willingly allowing you and giving you authority to speak into my life that's that's what it comes down to it can be difficult at times one of the disciples they're, they're experiencing where most of the time when they hear from me it's me coming down on them because they haven't been meeting those expectations um, and it's not that I don't like them or anything like that. I just, I want them to meet what is asked of them so that they can grow because the, 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 the less they grow, 
or the less things that they do, they start missing out on the experiences, and that shapes how their their experience overall. And so the hard part is when you come off too authoritatively, and then you become the mean guy. Versus, not that you want to be the nice guy or the mean guy, but you want to find this balance where people, like you said, they have relational credibility, and you're going to give authority over to that person in their life. Yeah, with that part when you're you kind of in a way have to be more authoritative over that person that's not meeting the standards because in the few one thing I wish I knew before I was going through it was that you honestly like I mean this wholeheartedly you get out what you put in I think you're doing a great job Mr. Rabbi I think I appreciate that man um well I think we're about to wrap that up and uh any final thoughts from for the viewer listeners people's so I just want you guys to know that um, God loves you. Um, I hope you have a good day. Uh, Caleb hopes you have a good day. Um, and see you later. And boom. <laughs>